So my very first guest on my very first podcast is Mo. And to give a little introduction for Mo, in their words, they are a fiber artist, a Mennonite fiber artist living in Japan. To expand on that, they're also a heart friend of mine for many, many years. They're a parent to a beautiful little creature, a creative in many areas, including textiles, watercolor, gardening, and breakfast. They're an advocate for mother nature and the pushed aside, a world traveler, a deep thinker, a conversationalist, living a minimal waste, no harm and all love lifestyle. Thank you, Mo, for joining me for this very first episode of Being. And can I start off by saying that you were a very intentional choice for my first episode. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's very, very sweet of you. Of course, um, I couldn't do this first one with anyone else. I feel very honored to have you in my life. I feel um, most of my best thinking happens when I'm thinking with you. And so this is very intentional on my end and it feels like a great honor to me that you would say yes. So I'm looking forward to diving right in. I gave a little introduction in my first little trailer podcast about what this whole deal is, but really the big focus is storytelling and getting to know humans on a level that we all mutually understand, which is just what it means to be. And woven into all of our stories, we have these mutual um, experiences of heartbreak, of love, of responsibility, of anger, of being born, perhaps birthing, we all have these things in common that no matter how different we all are, we still have so much that we share. And I know from our previous conversations that storytelling has a very special place in your heart. In fact, when you and I were texting, you were sharing about where you've kind of been at with what you've been reading and with your mom's story about your grandmother um, and those sorts of things. Um, And you, the way that you were talking to me made it so evident and clear that you needed to be my first guest because I, you have an insight that I do not have in this area. So I wanted to dig very specifically into your insight and just bounce some ideas off of each other and yeah, kind of go from there. I have the, the benefit of knowing that you care about this area. So I might ask some leading questions that I already know the answer to a little bit, just kind of gets it going. Um, but if there's any way, any area you want to stop me and get me to clarify the question, um, in a way that's not just assuming things about you, I can do. Mm. So, um, because I'm reading my questions and the first one is very assuming. It said, why do you believe sharing one story is important? (laughs) Uh, But I, yeah, I want to, I basically want to jump into the the significance for you in storytelling. Mm. And we can go from there. So, for me, the... I never really thought about stories until until after my grandfather died, my my mom's dad. Then my mom my mom's a really really deep heart feeling kind of person, and it it was really hard on her. and And she started to 
she started to realize that she doesn't have so much time left with anybody, but especially her mom. And so my mom started listening to the stories of my grandmother more. And my mom started asking my grandmother for clarification on other stories that she had heard in the past. And, and slowly it just kind of rolled into this project where my mom told my grandma's story and put it into a book. And, and I got to, you know, from afar, because I'm, I wasn't living at home for most of the time my mom was writing it, but from afar, I got to witness my grandma sort of relax into her death, if I can say that properly, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and then also to watch my mom um, experience the way that grandma raised her in, in its entirety, right? Because we are our stories. What happened to grandma prior to the moment that my mom came into the world has impacted the way that my mom was raised and has impacted the way that my grandmother interacted with the world, right? So, so it was just so healing for my mom to get to hear all of these stories that made my grandma my grandma. And, and it was so healing for my grandma because my grandma had a shit life. Mm. Like she, she worked, she, she didn't have a shit life. She worked really hard and she kept in a lot of feelings that I, don't, that I think should have come out. Mm. And, and because of that, I think that she had a lot of weight on her heart that she never really let out until the moment that my mom wrote the story. And so my grandma just, I mean, getting closer to your death also relaxes you a bit, but it just really seemed like getting her story out there to somebody who listens, sharing those tears, just like putting it out so that you can so that you can relax into what comes next just it just felt real it it had a weight to it that I never anticipated it would and I and it it just it still it feels very sacred did you get the opportunity to read the book that your mom wrote? the book is the book is just coming out this month oh that's so it's, exciting yeah. so it's, it's not been a five five year long project oh wow so you haven't had the you, the opportunity to have your hands on it quite yet. No, um, my mom my mom tells me a lot of stories, mm-hmm. uh, especially as they come up things that I've dealt with, or when I tell her stories about my child, she'll she'll say, "Oh, that's exactly how my mom said I was," or mm-hmm. you know these these little the little tidbits come out, but not not in as much entirety as the book. So I'm very excited to read it. Oh my gosh, I would be too. Like to hear about how your grandmother was also a young girl at one time, you know? And- totally. So my, my grandmother ca- came from a very liberal family, actually. And, oh, that's and so-, so my, my grandma and my great grandma and my great grandpa, my grandmother's parents were very, very liberal and were kind of shunned from the Mennonite community. My grandpa 
had a Bible and he shared the Bible with his family. He believed everyone should read the Bible, but in, in their very conservative community, the belief was that only the pastor was allowed to read the Bible and the pastor relayed the information back to the rest of the community. So that was really big, but also my grandma was like me, really strong-willed and very independent and followed her heart. And those qualities weren't really valued so much in Mennonite communities. And so my grandparent, my great grandparents tried to fit her into this box, but she, she wouldn't fit. And so they relaxed and they said, okay, you can just be. And so they, and so they let her be who she wanted to be in, in a lot of ways. And, and she had a young, a boyfriend at a young age, they got pregnant and then they separated. And like through all of this, my, my great grandparents just had this undying support and love for this daughter who didn't fit into the box. And so for me to hear that kind of story about my grandmother and about my great grandparents makes me feel really proud of my of my lineage because I didn't fit into the box and I will never fit into the box. But my grandma didn't either. And that was okay. And, you know, it's a different extreme. Right. I'm, I'm pushing the boundaries a lot. But my grandmother was pushing the boundaries a lot then, too. Like, it's so interesting for me. Because we both grew up in the same area and we both had grandparents that were largely involved in the church and those sorts of things and both being Mennonite and just hearing that that is your grandma's experience living in a more liberal family is so fascinating and must be, must kind of feel like you understand where you've come from, like that you, like it's no accident that you, you push boundaries because you have that in your genetics, like you have it in your bones and your, your grandmother taught you to do that in some capacity, even if, and I don't know this, but even if when you were a kid, perhaps your grandma didn't show that that was who she was or, or maybe I, I don't know how she was towards you, but I know grandparents can have, um, like hopes and expectations for their grandkids that might seem box-like. But then hearing that she was, she pushed those boundaries is probably special. What's, what's your experience? How did, um, what would the question be? Was there ways that you connected even after your grandmother's passing um, to her that changed after you heard her story? From before and then after so when I was younger my grandma was really disappointed that I wasn't a Christian that was and that and for many many years that was at the forefront of her mind so much so that I don't think that she could enjoy my company because all that she could think about was the fact that I was not a practicing Christian mm-hmm. And, and so for a long time, I was scared to go there because I knew I would get a lecture every time. And my, and that side of the family, it's very quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, they're, they're very thoughtful. They're very quiet. They're very, very awkward. It's very awkward getting together with my, with my mom's side of the family, but it took, it took some, 
some growing up for me. Yeah. And then grandma telling her story, I think, helped her relax. And then when my baby came along, then that changed everything. And then, mm-hmm. then, then we got to have some really close time together. And, and the, the grandma didn't really tell me so many stories, mostly my mom. But, but now since hearing her story, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time, most of the stories that my mom has told me have been after my grandma passed. Mm. Um, and and I, I feel absolutely more connected to her. If I, if I didn't have this information, if mom never decided to write this story and if these stories only came out in fragments, I, I think I would feel like less of a whole person. Mm. I really think that I that I that I wouldn't feel whole and I would always kind of feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. I think like my me and my mom had a talk about this the other day and that I always saw her as a god as an all-knowing parent that just was perfect. And so I always felt insignificant and and not I didn't feel like I fit in enough because I didn't know anything about my mom's story. Yeah. And so, so I, I, I'm slowly learning about my mom's stories too, and how, what it was like for her being a parent. And I feel more whole when I hear these stories because I can make sense of my life and where I came from. And it, it's, I feel like I remember like what you're saying. I remember the day that I realized that my, my mom wasn't a robot. Oh, God. Or yeah. A oh yeah. <laughs> One or the other. So I remember that and it felt like I, I mean, I had a lot of emotions, I think. I think one of them was anger in a Mm. weird way that Mm. I felt like I had misplaced my trust in in Mm. something that was now able to hurt me. Mm. And I think if there was some way that we could know that our parents were not gods, earlier on it would be some type of a healthier relationship but I don't even know what that looks like but I feel like storytelling might be the start of it I I think that storytelling is the basis of it like I I remember my mom telling me a few times when she wanted me to just cooperate just like April do what I'm asking yeah she would say I did this when I was a kid Hmm. and then that changed everything that changed everything mom did this when she was a kid okay I can work with that I can do what my mom did yeah I think you're on to something with storytelling being the thing that helps us to feel like our parents are somebody that we can trust not in a way that um they're like all-knowing all-powerful but in a way that they've actually been through what we've been through and They've been through it and they can help you get through it. Yeah, so I, I think that not only does it help, it feel, help us as children feel more connected to our parents, mm-hmm. but I think that through feeling more connected to our parents as children, we can feel more connected to our ancestors, we can feel more connected to ourselves, and we can feel more connected to the world at large. I think that because I thought that my mom was a god, because I thought that she was an all-knowing, perfect being, 
I see the world in a particular way that I don't think is necessarily healthy for my life. Mm, And when I see other parents, I'm always like, oh, you're a parent. You must be so old and all knowing, but (laughs) I'm a parent. And and I, I still have these thoughts that come up that are in direct correlation to, to that style of upbringing. That is such an interesting thought that it kind of sets you up to become identityless as a parent, like that you just mm-hmm. become part of the, the wheel, like the, the institution. Now you're just another, another parent with all the other parents losing all the things you had before, which is so sad. <laughs> and it is, it is. And untrue because and untrue. I've gotten to know you so much better since you've become a parent and all of your depths and the ways that you think. And none of that was lost by you birthing a human. Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It became harder. Yeah. Uh, for, for, about, for about three years, I lost the ability to think, to process thoughts. For, three, for two to three years, I lost my sense of self completely. And, but thanks to my partner really supporting my art and supporting me being an individual and, and my child getting older, I was able to regain a bit of a sense of, of independence and, and, of my, and my, thought, my thoughts were able to return in a different way, but in a, in a more beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Oh. So be, uh, being a birthing parent is hard there's a lot of hormones that get changed and things get really crazy. And so I, I have a lot of sympathy for the, for the parents who just start to lose themselves in it because it's easy to lose yourself in it, especially if you have many kids close together in age, mm. you suddenly don't have time for the other things that make you, you. Mm. Well, we're not exactly supported in the current society to have no. children. No, know, we're not in a way that maintains self yeah, individuality and all of the things that make you, you that's, that's hard. And I, yeah, I give my heart to all of the birthing parents and the supporting parents and everyone in between. That's just a, an amazing thing to do, I think. Mm. Yeah. So I have heard you reference storytelling as a healing experience. Um, As you mentioned before, um, would you expand on this idea why telling your story might be healing? Maybe in your words, like if you telling your specific story. So when, when I was, when I was a um, teenager, there was this guy who always molested me very regularly and and it, it became kind of an emotional abuse trap i was 14 years old looking back that's so young and he was 18 for most of the time so he you know he knew better than to be manipulating this young child and so 
by the time I was able to get the strength to leave the relationship, I was so angry. And the only revenge that I thought that I could have was telling the story. And so that's what I did. I told the story to everyone in the school who would listen. And, you know, that probably wasn't like the, the greatest thing to do, but it helped me heal. Mm-hmm. And now I, I, I don't hold on to that anymore as a part of who I am. And I, I am able to look at it in a different way mm-hmm. through the act of telling the story. It really, really helped me. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, to counter that, I had a really terrible abuse story as well. And she never told anyone for years and years and years and years. And now it's so a part of her being that she can't move past it. And she struggles often. And, you know, what (sighs) stories, Mm -hmm. it's so, it, I don't know. We are we are nothing but stories, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that that happened. And it has been an honor to walk through those things together through this time, especially the last couple of years. I feel like we've getting to dig into those things as far as for me too has been so healing. Um I don't ever like to hear that someone else has been through a similar, but that, that community of understanding and being able to support, I'm sure the fact that you've shared with so many people, even if you're not aware that they understand on a deep level, you've touched more people than you know, because Mm. I mean, the statistics are so staggering i what is it one in four kids is those are only the ones that get reported to the police right and who wants to do that right and neither of us reported (laughs) so so we i'm sure that it's more like a lot more than that um but even if that statistic is true then you've touched a lot of lives in a very positive way by being willing to share what's happened to you. I I think it gives other people the, the strength that they need to share too. And then people can find their healing and so on and so on. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of a long rambly question and I'm going to try my best to condense, um, um, might not work, but so Levi the poet is an artist that meant a lot to me in my high school years. He was a Christian artist, but one of the only ones who felt like a human on top of being a Christian, somebody that always seemed to just give it to you straight. Like all the things that were trash in life just really put it into words in a way that you could get it. And then in a way that didn't make you feel like shit about the fact that you weren't doing the things that everyone else said you should be doing. And Mm. so anyway, a lot of his lines get stuck in my head and I feel like they kind of 
I kind of still live by them. Um, but one of the lines that has made an impact on me and I often ponder is um, he says, every time I give my testimony to a crowd, I lie awake at night and wonder about whether or not I've told the truth. And I think about this um, and I wonder what is the truth in your opinion in regards to somebody's own story as your story is so subjective and depending on who you tell, you might tell it differently. So I'm not exactly looking for anything in particular. I'm more just interested in when, when you hear that or read that, what that means to you. Mm. So I, I think that, I think that a story evolves and that's beautiful too. You know, my, my, the story of what happened to me when I was 14 years old is not the same now as it was then. Now it's a story that looks very, very different than in the moment and even a few years after. So I don't think that and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that it's a, it's just the, the, the evolution of our existence. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even memories that I have, somebody else will remember differently. Sure. We all, you know, that car was red. No, I swear it was blue. You know, it, we all, we all. I, I'm but, hearing you. My mom told me when she was in university, one of the first classes of her psychology class, um, it was all staged, of course, but somebody ran into the classroom, threw a pie at someone's face in the front row <laughs> and ran out. And, and everyone's shocked because like nobody knows this is about to happen. And the professor goes, what was the person wearing who ran into the room? And everybody had a different answer. And I I believe the professor was explaining how trauma, shock, all of these things form our memories very differently depending on what we've either been through in the past or what we're thinking about in the present. Like there's all sorts of factors that affect how we like frame these memories. Um, and And maybe that is kind of what you're, talking about like how and and each color was true to that person (laughs) and that's that's the thing right which is which is so funny each each person's truth is their truth yeah and it's so true to them they live their life by it without we all live our lives by our truths without necessarily even processing it on a day-to-day basis that's so true as I grew up the idea of that's my truth was very frowned upon that there is one truth and that was the Christian Bible and one truth only. And I, I sometimes have people that will message me on Instagram, like, cause I'll say, I'll either share something or I'll talk about like, that's my truth or that's their truth or whatever. And they'll get quite um, offended by that idea as though you're, you're, I guess, blasphemous would be the, the word, like that you're taking for granted, like the truth of God. Um, 
and you're not honoring it or that sort of a thing. Um, but I would love if you want to, to share what one's own truth means to you and also why it's empowering to understand that you have your own truth and it does, it's not like a universal code basically. Yeah. So growing up <clears throat> under the, um, under the impression that there was only one truth was really scary. That was really horrifying as somebody who turned away from Christianity at a really young age from 13, I was already questioning why everyone's so interested in this. Mm. And it was, it was horrifying. I let down my mom and dad every day with my lack of enthusiasm about Christianity. And so I think having living, living the fact that each person has their own individual truth allows me to go through the world feeling confident that I'm okay doing what I'm doing. And it makes, and my, my belief in that makes other people feel safe around me if they have a differing belief system. And I think that that's really important because I still don't always feel safe going home because I hold on to this idea that I'm not following the truth. Mm. That's like I, I'm I, that conditioning still follows me. And I think that it takes a long time to break that concept because it's so powerful. Oh, man. Yeah. You put that into perfect words. Absolutely perfect. And you can be away from the people that made you feel that way in, in the start for so long, like months or years, and you can feel like it's all the way gone. <laughs> and then one minute back in that same room or whatever yeah. with those same people and it's not gone. <laughs> yeah. Frustrating. But I, I'm sure you've set a lot of people free by just being willing to be yourself mm. even if it might seem on the outside like you're making them uncomfortable or feel frustrated or whatever the emotion or or whatever is um there's a lot more I think deeper than that mm. so yeah thank you for being that person for me and for other people too well and to be honest I I try my best to to honor everyone's truth but when I come across somebody who doesn't honor other people's truths, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really hard for me to interact with a person who on the forefront says, this is my truth and your truth is wrong. Those kinds of people I, I, I have a really hard time interacting with, but people who just want to connect with me through their stories, we don't have to talk about what we believe in. Mm. I'm ready. I'm ready to connect with anyone. And we don't have to talk about the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a new idea. I think not, a, not an actual new idea in like the scope of the, the world, but like right now, I think we've been so conditioned to be like, to know each other's identities first and including Sorry. like, political identities and yeah religious I mean our our ethnic and our like heritage and our 
you know, all of those things are like the most important right now in society on the outside. But the fact that you're willing to go deeper than that is very healing for people. I can only assume. I know it is for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think hearing other people's stories is really the stepping stone to breaking down racism, sexism, all of the isms, all of the isms we can break down through listening to another story. If you see somebody drinking on the street, they're homeless, there's all sorts of assumptions we have running through our heads. We feel angry. We feel, you know, we, we have all these feelings. But if you sit down and listen to somebody's story, maybe let's even take away that person's face. Let's say it's just reading a story about someone that changes things. You get to see what this person has struggled through and why they're in this situation. Once you take all of that into consideration, these some people are struggling through incredible things and they end up drinking on the street. Mm. And, you know, good for them. They've made it this far. Mm. Like, let's, let's support each other and lift each other up. Sorry. I think that we need to lift each other up and, and center each other's stories and center each other's personhood. Mm. We live in this world where we've stripped away the personhood of everything. So in, in indigenous cultures, we were all indigenous at one point, just a long time ago for us. We honored the personage of the river. We honored the personage of the trees. We honored the personage of the mountain, of the spirit of the forest. We honored these things that we see now as things. We Mm -hmm. honored these individuals as individuals. And so I think the the natural next step is to dehumanize other humans, Mm. right? So so once once we take away the stories of the trees, we take away the stories of the rocks, we take away the stories of the land, Mm. we remove ourselves from the land. Now it's so easy to remove yourself from other people and to dehumanize other people. We even a lot of times dehumanize our dogs. I hear people call dogs it's all the time, but a dog also is a person. We are all people, but we've forgotten how to honor it. Hmm. Oh, I love this. That makes me think like how different I would live if I thought that way, that I was just picturing myself I, I don't know, like even just like walking through a little stream, how to think like this thing has its own energy, not this thing, <laughs> this. Exactly. So this, this is how the English language works. <laughs> it, it does. And in order to retrain yourself, like we almost need to make words. Yeah. So the, I, I, I read half of braiding sweetgrass. Uh, I can't remember the author's name. That's really bad of me. But Braiding Sweetgrass uh, has really, really, really opened my mind to the idea of personage. 
Mm-hmm. Um, she talks extensively about the way that languages work. And she talks about her experience learning her indigenous language, which is, I believe, a Potawatomi, but I could be wrong. And so she's an indigenous woman who was raised relatively white. She was written, uh, that's not the right way to say it. She was raised relatively mainstream. Mm -hmm. She wasn't raised super connected to the land. And so when she started learning her indigenous language, she was shocked because the word for rock is literally rock person. The word for mountain is literally mountain person. Mm -hmm. The word for tree is literally tree person or cedar person or oak person. Wow. So they, the, the language on a very, very basic level honors the personage of every living thing, even things that we don't consider living, like rocks. Wow. So, like, I, I've, I've just been ruminating on this so much. What would my life be like? What would, what would the world be like if English honored the personage of every living thing? Wow. Yeah, because I mean, lamp and tree are both called it. And they're not one of them was created from plastics and metals and the other one grew from a seed and has a one is alive and one is not right and has like the tree has a whole story and like holds memories like they've proven that all living things hold memory yep. and they grow in such a way that honors that memory, which well, is- Well, and the Mennonites know that plants have memories because when they brought their seeds from Russia, from Prussia, from wherever they came from, when they brought them to Canada, they probably didn't grow great because the seeds didn't have the memory of this land. The seeds didn't have the memory of this weather. So it took a few generations of growing the seeds for them to be able to acclimatize to this land. Yeah. Everyone, every farmer knows this. Man, I need to put you in my back pocket. You're just walking history for me and I appreciate it so much. Well, I've been reading a lot of books. The information is, is my, my, my thinking about different information that I've received from books and from yeah lots of books yeah I listen to a lot of books I love that I need to dig into some of those braiding sweetgrass is on my list absolutely um yeah I have valued hearing these things from you so much um because it gives me a different perspective into why stories are important. Like the reason I started this podcast was because I could feel myself just dipping down into depression, coming back up, dipping again, coming back up, dipping again. And I started to kind of record why these dips would happen. And it was often because I was spending either A, too much time alone or B, too much time in large groups where I didn't feel I could connect with humans on a one-to-one basis. Um, because I, I'm quite like an introverted extrovert where I love, like I gain so much from people, but, but when I'm in a group of people that 
I feel like I have to mediate for, like I'm listening to, are people comfortable? Are they feeling welcomed? You know, like always absorbing people's energy and trying to make everyone happy and content and feel welcome and blah, 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 blah. I find myself going home crashing, staying in that crashing place. And so the reason I started this was because like for the most part, selfish to ensure there's that time of the week to be able to speak to somebody on a heart level about something that's so valuable, such as their story. Um, And so that was my reason, but then to hear from you kind of to dig, dig deep, deeper and deeper into how stories are, it connects us back to the first people in Canada, but then also that I like what you said about that we were once first people in another area. Like we all go back to being first people and in sharing our stories, we get connected to, if we, we, very good point to our history and become um, aware that we aren't just, okay. What I was thinking before was that parents, like, okay, I can only speak from our culture. Um, well, and I want to, I want to just backtrack for a second. Yeah, please do. That you, you said that you wanted to start the podcast on kind of a selfish whim to, to get the heart conversations that you need. But I would like to challenge that and say that the things that you need and the things that you're craving in life are also your gifts. Hmm. And so creating, creating something that you can also share with other people is a, is a big gift. Hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope I can share. Yeah. In a way that, um, can make other people feel more connected to themselves too. I, I was thinking about how when we're born into our family, everything we get taught by them is normal and is what we know. And everyone who thinks differently than us is not normal and is, can be scary and can even be evil or all of those other words that we've been taught. And I I haven't been able to put it in good words yet, but I want other people to see that people who are born into different types of families and had different types of experiences, it doesn't make them weird or other. That to them is their normal. You know, your life now, Japan, having separated from the faith background that you grew up with, um, raising a baby, trying to honor um, her lineage and yours at the same time, like that is your normal. That is my normal, but it's not a lot of people's normal. Right, but it makes it no less important or valid. And it makes, like, you still have all of the same shared experiences that your parents, my parents, our hometown, we all 
have those same shared experiences and all those hard emotions and all of those inner wrestlings. And like, we all still have those things. They just look different Mm -hmm. and we still have so much to connect on. And that was my big, big goal was that no matter how different people are, that there is still a, a thread through the whole, all of humanity where we all want the same things and we want to belong and be loved and all of the things that we know in our hearts. It's no different. I think that, I think that in, in today's world, in July something, something 2021, Canada is in a state of internal war. You know, where what I hear from my mom is that people of all backgrounds, people of the same backgrounds are fighting versus fighting mask versus none, fighting one versus another. And people get lumped into these really, really strange categories of mask or no mask or vaccination or no vaccination. But that doesn't encompass somebody's story. And we need to stop thinking about people in these really narrow categories. Mm -hmm. I could not agree more. And it's, it, I keep telling myself it is worth fighting no no matter how frustrating it feels, feels like sometimes you can feel like you're the only one left that wants humans to love each other and, you know, be connected, but it's still worth it humans are still yeah. it no matter what it's still a good fight <laughs> it's still one worth doing yeah, yeah. and yeah that was that was a big conversation when I was very open with my mom about me letting go of my faith was her big realization was we both still want humans to feel loved we both mm-hmm. still want humans to feel like they're accepted and they belong. And, and she's like, she just, her final words were, we're still on the same team. Mm. And I, the mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. We have to still be on the same team. Like once we we pull all that back and shed it away, there is a part of us. I have to believe we're still on the same team. Everyone wants the same end goal mm. for us to, to be in some semblance of normal again. People mm. are just fighting on how to get there. Yeah. What I, what I appreciate so much about living in Japan is that here, my, this is my perception of Japan. Somebody who is Japanese and who can speak fluent Japanese might have a different opinion than me. But as a foreigner who is not quite fluent in Japanese, personally, it looks to me like the Japanese people are emotionally intelligent enough to know that everyone is doing their part Mm. and everyone honors the part that another is doing. And that part is going to look different from your part. Everyone's part is going to look different. Some people can afford to stay home. Some people can't. 
Some people need to go play music. Some people can stay home at home all the time. Everyone is going to do what they are able to do. And nobody fights about masks because it's just a mask. You just put it on your face while you're out of the house and it's fine. That is so fascinating. I, I shouldn't assume, but we, I guess we all do. And I do, um, that everywhere in the world was just like this and everyone was arguing about such trivial things that unfortunately are going to have long-term effects. They're Mm -hmm. splitting families, Mm -hmm. dividing up and really our entire country. Um, But I just assumed that every country was like that. And it's very, um, it's really encouraging to hear that Japan is not like that. Yeah, there are, uh, Tokyo, Tokyo is a little bit more like Canada and America. It's a little bit, it's a little bit more divided, but not, you can't compare it to Canada. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'm happy that you are able to experience that because it's sure exhausting here. I know we felt it in my own family and uh, my partners and etc. I feel like it's touching everybody and that's so sad. Mm-hmm disappointing but yeah I, I I do hope that the little conversations are the ones that will make the difference yeah I feel podium whatever is said can be said but it's I just feel it's the neighbors connecting with the neighbors and it's the the people having the heart conversations that are doing the work and I'm glad that you are doing the work that's mm. excellent. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. It's I, I think I think that we need to stop focusing on the big things and start focusing on on the little things. It's the little things that matter the most. Yeah. When I started to reconnect with my mom's side of the family, then um, it was all about trying to build relationships outside of Christianity and so we connect on every other front mm. we connect with gardening we connect with chickens we connect with mm. with food we connect every other way that we can mm. and then we leave one out mm. and I think that we need to connect in every way that we can and leave the masks out and we need to connect in every way that we can however we feel comfortable mm. right like it if you only feel comfortable visiting me with a mask on, I'm not going to judge you for that. You can wear a mask. If somebody doesn't feel com- comfortable visiting other people when they're not vaccinated, that's okay. Use a Zoom. You can come via, you know, but let's not judge each other on it. And let's just all agree that we're working to the same end. But that that's not the way that the government portrays it either, right? Yeah, we're not exactly supported to feel that way. No. So it, it does take a, quite a bit of wrestling to see it any other way. And I, I also, I do feel sad. I'm sure looking back, there's going to be people that feel like they were had by this whole thing that, yeah. that not on any like level of legitimacy. I'm in healthcare. I understand it's very serious, but in the sense that people were kind of, manipulated into 
letting go of very important relationships because you feel differently. Yeah. And that's so, I can only assume that looking back, there's going to be regret. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see, yeah, that those relationships can be fixed again and, you know, all of that that are, but I, I do also think that it has exposed a lot of really important things. Um, a lot of the isms you were mentioning before have come out because of the shakeup that's occurred due to this whole situation, which has been good. So I'm hoping that then it will be net positive. <laughs> but, <laughs> Hopefully. But it's, yeah, it's seems to be uh, like a, the long way around. But anyway, um, your time is very valuable. So I don't want to take it. Um, I know you have stuff as well at home. Yeah, I just I want to close with saying that a lot of the information that I've been learning from is indigenous knowledge. And I want to I want to just acknowledge that I am not indigenous and that this truth, these truths that are bringing me back to my personhood are from indigenous cultures. And I, and I want to just value that and honor that. And I want to, I, I'm, I'm, I will never be indigenous, mm. but I want to try to respect the earth as much as I can mm. as a person who will never be indigenous. Mm. And so I want to just say that. I think it's important to say. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm so thankful for how you are bringing these things to my life and um, inspiring me to go and do my own learning. And I'm sure you'll inspire others to do their own learning um, because quite clearly there's a lot of very good and very timely lessons to learn from the people who this land belongs to. And so I thank you for taking those and making, putting them in your own words and honoring them. I appreciate that so much. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah. Well, my dear friend, thank you again for sweating this out for the sake of the podcast. Absolutely. It was a lovely talk. It was a lovely talk. I look forward. I'm having Mo back on again um, at some points if they would like to, to be able to share their own story as bits and pieces have been shared, but there's so much more to dig into. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have such a beautiful life and lots to learn from. I know I have, so I'm sure others will too, but Yeah. Thank you for making the time. I so love and value you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day too. Thanks.